Hello, and welcome back to our journeys. As you might remember, this series is a little bit different from the standard format. Each episode, I'm going to be interviewing a new guest where we'll discuss their mental health journey. This might range from what they were taught in school to sharing their own struggles. This episode, I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Southampton alumni and musician, Ed Gill. Um, hi, I'm Ed, and I've just finished three years uh, as a music student at Southampton, and I'm now working as an audio technician at a school. Thank you so much for joining me, Ed. Uh, this is our journeys. I, I'm, I've explained to you the, the, the premise before. We're just going to talk a little bit about your experiences with mental health and how you were taught it, how that might have affected your life, and sort of how it might still be affecting your life uh, today. Mm. Amazing, amazing. So we can we can get straight into it then. What was your sort of first experience with uh, mental health? Was it sort of a PSHE lesson, something like that, or, or a personal thing, friends or anything like that? Oh, blimey. I think it was potentially mentioned at school in kind of a passing, you might experience negative impacts from this lesson or something mm. like that. Um, and, you know, we had all these PSHE days, but they kind of, primarily focused around drugs or sex or you know other things that are equally valid and very important rock and roll i don't think well you know (laughs) exactly um i I don't think anything particularly specifically about mental health and the way in which it can manifest itself Uh, i had a handful of friends whose mental health problems clearly manifested at clearly manifested itself with them in quite a negative way and a negative way that they treated themselves okay um which i guess was my first ever realization that you can be ill and not be physically sick or physically have a broken bone but you can be completely unwell and yet on the outside be completely fine Mm. um but I wouldn't say that it was ever discussed in any major way at school or even college. Okay, it's interesting because I think a lot of the way we're shown it in uh, school, especially in those like PSHE days, like you mentioned, I think a lot of the ways we're shown it is in these big, like people can commit suicide, but mm-hmm. actually it it doesn't manifest itself on the surface like that. You know, someone doesn't walk into school with suicide on their forehead or, or, or something like that it's it is it's it's in how they might change as a person and, and how they treat themselves and uh things like that it's it's we're often we're taught the the symptoms perhaps no we're taught the effects perhaps but not how to spot them does that make sense yeah no i definitely i would definitely agree with that and i think a lot of arguments or issues that arose at school could well have been as a result of people experiencing negative mental health and A, not realising, but also other people around them not realising. And uh, it's something that's definitely been obviously more prep, like has kind of come to my thinking more so having gone through a couple of bits and pieces myself and having known friends and family members who have spoken to me about it openly. But I would never have said that school was actually that helpful mm. um, in doing that. I now know that, so the school that I work at at the moment, uh, they do 
a variety of mental health and well-being assemblies and I've I mean I've only been here for two two three weeks and they've done I think I've been involved with setting up for seven or eight oh, wow. mental health and well-being assemblies and uh, which is super important. Do you think that's in response sort of to the um, COVID pandemic? I think I think it has has to have been in response mm. to it. You know, we saw such a massive increase in problems, you know, mental health problems, particularly with, I mean, the suicide rate went up. All of these things clearly are created by lockdown. And the way that, so the way that the school that I'm at at the moment has dealt with that has actually been really quite good. And there's been a lot of safeguarding things discussing how students, uh, if you see that a student is visibly distressed or you even think that the, a student is not doing the best, then you should report it. And they phrase it in a way that I think is amazing. And I won't, I won't mention the school just because yeah, of okay. safeguarding. And, but um, they end all of their briefings and everything about this kind of topic with don't think, what if I'm wrong? think what if I'm right and the way that that has kind of really emphasized how important looking after everyone is even if something isn't wrong mm. even just saying All right pal you okay like how, how's it going is so 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 vital yeah I like that I like that it's a yeah I like that it's a really good way of looking at it I think especially from a safeguarding perspective massively so let's let's get a bit back to you then. So obviously going through school then, it wasn't spoken about much and you could kind of spot things here and there. Do you think looking back on it, you can spot more than you perhaps did at the time? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was openly ever specifically mm. said, but I would say that, you know, say a PSHE lesson on uh, well-being at the time we probably all saw her as being bullshit and being like an absolute waste of half of the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh really? Sir's been asking us how we are. But in reality, kind of looking back, I, I do, do generally think that it was a step in the right direction or something that was really trying to highlight yeah. it. But also as well, you run the risk of if you do discuss mental health issues and really make it a forefront of the discussion you do then kind of risk pushing that view onto somebody who one day might just be feeling a little a little down and could then you know think about that and really really get into their heads about it yeah i think um, and i don't think they wanted us to be conscious that that's what they were doing right yeah i think it is important that you know these kind of education is comprehensive and it isn't just mentioning mm. it and leaving it i think Certainly when, I mean, you're not that much older than me, you're a couple of years, but I think when I was at school, people were talking about it more, but it very much was that thing of like, in the, in the same way that we were taught about bullying, you know, like you would kind of mm. have a lesson on it, you'd be like, oh, cool, that's a half hour I can doss off or not really pay attention. But I think even in having lessons mentioning it, 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 it brought it into the minds of students, at least, even if it wasn't a comprehensive teaching it does kind of open it up to you so later down the line it, it might help and i i believe massively, that they're, they're doing it better now 
Um, yes. But yeah. So moving on a little bit in time then, how, what was your first experience then potentially with, um, with mental health struggles? Um, I'd say my first kind of major problems were, I guess, at school, maybe 13, 14 with, I mean, at the time, I'd never saw them as mental health problems. I just, I, I had a very poor view of myself and of my, my body image and how I looked. Right. And I, I massively felt that I was overweight and that I was ugly and that my hair need, you know all of the classic things that you go through as a teenager all of the I am you know I compared myself to all these people in the media I'd look on I'd be I don't know I'd be watching the telly and there'd be someone I don't know you watch say Poldark and oh, I can't even remember the guy in Poldark but he is this kind of beautiful mm. man beautiful specimen i've not seen it but i've um, heard all of the middle-aged women talking about it <laughs> all of the middle-aged women and 13 year old ed gill clearly yeah. um and it you know it's it's such a strange strange thing and and i really at the time didn't think about it but i was always self-conscious about what i was wearing about how i looked i remember permanently um my dad would get annoyed because i uh I was always pulling down the bottom of my t-shirt mm. for whatever reason to hide my then, I don't know, belly. I, I barely had a belly. You, you know, I was 12, 13 year old yeah. boy. It was completely normal. And all of my t-shirts at the bottom were stretched. All of them were uh, a bit of a mess. And my dad was would kind of get annoyed that I'd misshapen all of my t-shirts. And that was definitely kind of my first ever experience with a potential mental health problem but I don't think I ever realised that that was a mental health problem Do you think you saw it in other people at the time or did you feel like you were the only one that was experiencing those kind of body image problems? I think at the time particularly when I was 13, 14 was definitely oh everyone else is so happy with the way they yeah. look I'm the only person that you know could even feasibly be disappointed with how they look and uh, I think as I got older and particularly as I went to sixth form and met more people and people from a broader range of backgrounds than just my secondary school I slowly began to realise that there were people out there who'd gone through similar things who'd gone through different things but still struggled with their mental health mm. and it it was actually quite comforting, I think, um, as a 15, 16 year old, realizing that I wasn't the only one. How, how prominent do you think was social media back then? Because obviously you, you mentioned, um, you thought that everyone was happy with their bodies. And nowadays on, on especially sort of Instagram and stuff like that, you do see people trying to put forward their best life, especially. Do you think, because mm. I know, especially in my early school years, Facebook wasn't particularly like that. It was more, dumb statuses and, and rape me and stuff like that. Do you think yeah. social media played into it at all? Or do you think that's more of a uniquely nowadays issue? Honestly, I don't know if social media even crossed my mind or even became a thing that was like that. Um, Facebook was always, you know, silly statuses, mm. endless people posting 
like for a rate out of 10. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, oh, but forget off, mate. Take me back to 2009. That was a time. <laughs> I know. Just silly, silly things. And, you know, I think occasionally I'd say be tagged in a photo on Facebook and feel a little upset with the way I looked. Or, But aside from that, there was never any, you know, the, I didn't have... Inst- I don't even think Instagram was a thing then. Um, you just didn't have that exposure mm. to a million and one male models, you know, with these kind of chiselled abs that have then been photoshopped. Yeah. Well, I so I um, I never really posted much on Facebook, especially not pictures, because I I think I knew I was sort of a goofy looking kid, and I like I wasn't wholly happy with how I looked, but. I think in my head I was just like, that's fine. I'm just a goofy looking person. That's who I'll be for the rest of my life. So I didn't particularly like photos of me. But at the same time, I didn't have to be confronted with photos of me all of the time. I feel like nowadays, Mm. if I go to any social gathering, or (laughs) remember them, but I think if I go to any social gathering, uh, everyone's going to be taking photos and then they all get put up on Instagram and you get tagged in them and your tag feed just becomes this stream of group photos and I think mm. yeah I don't know what I would have done if I was confronted you know every day with a new photo of myself like yeah I don't know it's it, yeah it not- would have been terrible you know I think for me personally seeing my, even you know when you're in the back of a photo mm. and they've clearly not caught you at your best <laughs> and you're I don't know mid drink or mid laugh mm. And you've got a bit of a chin, you've got a bit of an eye going on. And I would see photos like that of myself and go, oh, well, that's what I permanently look like. I And I would, you know, fixate on that one image, that one, that one thing um, would really, really get, get to me. Mm. And I think if I'd have had Instagram when I was a 13 year old boy, I think it would have been a whole different story. I think especially in teenage boys, though, it's body image isn't really spoken about. Because I think for a long time, obviously, I mean, and obviously still to this day, it, it perpetuates, but this idea of unhealthy, uh, unhealthy standards set for women. Um, mm. And, you know, I think there's some fantastic work being done on social media now to try and combat that. But I think it's not really something you think about. And as a teenager, you're going through puberty, you've got all of these hormones, you've got your body changing and no clue what's going on. And there's not, I suppose, not that much uh, support or knowledge or or stuff like that, awareness perhaps for male body image, especially amongst teenagers. I never really considered that before. Yeah, I I think I'd agree actually. I, I mean, obviously everyone is going through such a turbulent time emotionally mm. physically hormonally and i think particularly um as as a teenager it was i don't know never really i never really thought about it as being that i never thought about it as oh i'm going through x y and z it was always i don't know how to phrase it just reality that is uh, what is it yeah is, fully you know Fully, I yeah, I could I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think even maybe even if you'd had a name for what it was that you were going through, it wouldn't have fixed it, but it might have made it easier to address, perhaps. 
Yeah, no, I, I think so as well. I, I I agree with that. It would, it could have been potentially something that would have helped, or even would have meant that I would then have been able to talk to somebody. Mm. So how did this how did this end up manifesting itself then throughout your teenage years? So um, throughout my teenage years, I progressively got worse. A couple of interesting things happened to me at college and they then manifested themselves um, within me as quite a significant eating disorder. Okay. Um, I really, really suffered um, with uh, what originated as a binge eating disorder and then moved for moved onwards to a more of a restrictive eating disorder. Um, and at the time, particularly, I don't think I ever even realised what was going mm. on. I think in my head it was, uh, and this is the worst worst thing to do, but in my head it was, boys don't get eating disorders. Boys aren't affected like mm. this. Boys don't have issues with their mental health. Yeah, I... Girls get eating disorders. Mm. It's, you know, I... I it's it's you know it's deeply upsetting how many times i've heard people say things like that to me on this podcast you know it's 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 such a common theme and mm. i think recognizing it as a common theme is so frustrating but i mean eating disorders especially amongst men really like of of all of the niche and taboo topics that there are within mental health i you know i certainly my myself would say that one of the the most prominent amongst them is eating disorders amongst men i mean uh i think you and one other person on facebook that i know are the only men that i'm aware of that talk openly about their eating disorders but the statistics mm. absolutely disagree with that yeah massively. And having to suffer in silence is such a dangerous thing it it is terrifying and it is you know even I think the way in which A, the way in which eating disorders are viewed is awful um, be they with men women, anyone who identifies you know anyone who has an eating disorder I think sometimes in someone's head are viewed as, you know, I don't know I don't know other people, but I think, particularly when I was younger, I saw someone with an eating disorder and go, oh, come on, they need to, you know. Even if I was like 11, it'd be like, oh, someone's got a problem, but I, that's never going to happen to me. Or it's not really that serious a problem. They just need to, you know, sort themselves out and start eating. But it's not, it's not that at all. Um, and I think, particularly amongst men, that problem still occurs still exists to this day I wonder if you'd be able to speak a little bit to to what it does feel like psychologically because I, I, I think you're right in saying that there's that preconception of like ah well you know just eat then like it's 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 food it's you I can eat uh, it's not like depression where it's a thing going on in your head you just don't want to eat because you want to look better and you don't want to exercise I wonder if you could speak a little bit to what it might feel like 
if that's okay. Yeah, of, of course, of course. I mean, I particularly at the time and the kind of beginnings of me developing um, a level of disordered eating, I didn't realise I was doing a variety of silly things to my body and I don't think ever in my head was you have a problem it would be something that I did before a night out it would be something that I did before a party it would be something that happened as and when um, and you know to start with it was kind of very very infrequent and then I began to realise that whatever I was doing or however, however I was treating my body made me thinner and in my mind at the time thinner was better mm. and you know it was definitely I'd say that it probably manifested itself as a problem in my head uh, when I hit the age of 18 probably just after my 18th birthday I remember I um, had a gig at Teesside University Students Union the uh, you know the biggest gig you can play as an 18 year old um, to be fair sold out crowd like a thousand people there Christ <laughs> Oh, it was that's, great! That's I had a brilliant time. <laughs> it was it was great. Um, I was a little little backing singer yeah. to a to a band, and I I remember I went for a pint afterwards with people, and then went home. And then when I got home, I was so exhausted. It had been you know the end of weeks of rehearsals and addition of a pint <laughs> and everything, and the entire reality of the situation hit me like a brick wall. I just you know suddenly realized fuck I've got I've got a problem um, huh. but I didn't really know what to do about it I had absolutely no idea how to to deal with or even how to begin to address it it's it's interesting that it did come to you like that in that moment I, d I don't know much about uh, eating disorders or how they manifest themselves, but is that sort of a co I don't know is that a common realization to have? Um, honestly, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I know that uh, other people um, have had to be told mm. by other people. I know a lot of people, you know, will be spoken to by family members or friends about what's going on about physical changes about changes in their temperament in their behavior that are also a massive part of a disorder of disordered mm. eating um and you know my family had noticed and my family had brought it up with me and all these things but had never i don't think it ever really sat me down and said ed we're worried or if they had, I think I chose to ignore it at the mm. time, uh, just because I didn't want to hear it. 
I don't, I, you know, in my mind, I didn't have a problem. In my mind, I was fine. I was on my way to a healthier weight, or, you know, however I viewed it. I think that's one of the one of the biggest. Uh, I don't know. I, the word that came to mind was blunder, but it's not a blunder. It's it's an intentional thing. But as a society, we do treat thinner as healthier, and mm, mm, that is exactly why or how people get into these situations where they're like, "Well, I'm doing it for my own good." Because mm. it, no matter how I get there, if I'm thinner, then I'm healthier. But health yeah. isn't about size or image, right? It's 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 about it well-being. Is. It's about both physical and mental well-being. And it's something that took me a long time to realise. It's funny, I was, I was talking to someone earlier today, and um, we got onto the topic of... Uh, I can't remember how it came up. But we, we got onto the topic of physical health versus mental health. So often, uh, there's it's this idea of, ah, get outside, get some exercise, get some healthy food in you, and that'll sort out your mental health. And it absolutely yeah. does make you feel better. But mm. there have been times in my life where I have been exercising two times a week, eating really healthily, uh, waking up early, going to bed on time, and they have been some of my lowest moments mentally. Mm. And, but I've also been in places where I've been really healthy mentally, but really, really unfit. And I have felt happier then than when I've been you know, super exercising and, and stuff like that. So it's, a, it, it's yeah. an interesting muddle of ideas that goes on around image versus health. I mean, if you look at... Um, I was watching an interview with Zac Efron and he it was him eating pasta i think for the first time in like you know 10 years or whatever because he's always mm. he's, goes from film to film and he's got to be a certain shape because zach efron is zach efron because of the way he looks and i can't even begin yeah. to imagine the effect that has had on him but he's now kind yeah, of funny. i think he's now committing to sort of stopping that and and just sort of being zach efron as an actor but he was mm. talking about it and you know he's not allowed to um drink or, or drink water or eat or something like that i can't remember what he was saying but like 24 hours before a shoot and then right before they go on he's given a black coffee and a packet of skittles because it dehydrates him further and just makes his skin go all tight and, and muscly and then he, he goes he eats this pasta and he nearly you know he nearly starts crying because he's like you know this is the first bit of carbs i've had in however long and it's just it's just nuts to think what he will have gone through for a look, right? Oh yeah, fully. It's as though eating carbs for him has in this moment directly contributed to his mental well-being. Mm. And it's yeah, it's 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 sort of baffling. But I think looking at looking at your journey, it's it was a very gradual one. Because you, you spoke about mm. having body images uh, problems when you were sort of 13 and then this moment, this eureka moment of realisation when you're 18. It seems strange that it built for so long and then, you know, sort of snapped out of it. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I wouldn't say snap out mm. of it. Um, for me, I think it was I'd recognised that I had a problem at which point... I proceeded to do very little about it. Okay. Um, 
I don't know. It was it was just one of those things that at college I had so much going on. I had so much music. I was in bands. I was in choirs. I was in orchestras. I was doing all sorts of stuff. And it just never dawned on me that I should do something about this issue that I was having. Right. And did you? Do you and think you named it? Or was it? I'd say I think I always said the way that I talked about it with, say, family or friends. I always say I have a problem with food. I don't think I ever, until I went to the doctors about it, I don't think there was ever a point that I would ever have said I have you know I suffer with disordered eating I don't think I would ever have said that do you think naming it helped when you went to the GP did naming it validate it for you yes and no it helped in a sense that I finally knew what was actually going on with me what was going on in my brain um it helped me because it made me realize what it was doing to my body mm. um but i i did struggle with having that knowledge that knowledge really i think really threw me um and having that specific issue was not a, a knockback but it definitely definitely halted me in my tracks for a little bit but it was definitely it was definitely a good thing for me to have that realised um, that kind of I say diagnosis that no yeah that diagnosis that knowledge, yeah, that diagnosis, that specific knowledge that I was suffering with this issue really shaped the next, well, four or five years of my life. So I, I, I chose not to go to university straight out of college as a result of that issue that I had. As a result of disordered eating, I decided that I wanted to work on myself for a year. I decided that I wanted to work on my music for a year. Um, and the way that I told, you know, I told everyone, I was like, oh, I'm spending a year working on my music. I was working on myself. Um, I worked for a year. I worked in a school for a year. I worked in a bar. I gigged up and down the country. I gigged so much and made so much music. I made so many great friends. And, oh, motorbike. Uh, I made so many great friends and that year was a result of me having that problem and that was kind of my year of recovery of me developing myself mm. after getting the diagnosis did you take uh, an active role then obviously taking that year out is quite an active thing to do was that was that quickly afterwards or, or was there a, a time between making that decision and getting the diagnosis uh, I'd say that I made the decision in probably in the May okay. of my of my upper sixth mm. year uh, I'd probably found out 
late January, mid February, kind of those two weeks kind of time. I think I'd always knew and just never really wanted to realise. But I I got my place at Southampton that year and I deferred it. I think I deferred it on the day that I got the result, actually. So I don't I think I'd made my decision, but I don't think I'd ever actually properly done anything about it until what is it, the twenty second of July or something? Right. Uh, and I just hadn't made any decision until that day and I rang the university and said I don't want to come <laughs> don't want to come but I want to come next year uh, and they you know what they were brilliant they said yep that's absolutely fine don't worry about it just call us back next year when you want to come mm. but I, I never did anything actively I, I say that I went once I'd been to the doctors uh, I'd tried they'd referred me to kind of a counselling service and I went and it was one of the lowest moments of my of my kind of relationship with my body and relationship with food why is that? I don't think I gave it a chance Mm. in my head I think you know I mean hey you know what it's like to be a 17 18 year old boy (laughs) yeah my god oh the number of mistakes I made but I in my head still believed that going for help for something that was going on in my head was a something that a boy wouldn't do was something that a man wouldn't do and I think I went in wanting it to be bad right and so it was a crap session. And I didn't go back. But I think I was so far gone in my head right. about, you know, what was going on or how I would deal with it. And I think, you know, the way that I dealt with it was to work on it myself. It was, you know, even though I'm, I, you know, I'd like to say that I have recovered, you know, as, as far as I believe that I can Um, but even that was because I was being stubborn and doing it on my own do you think you would have come to this point faster had you sort of lent into uh, help yes without a doubt if I'd have gone in with an agenda of I want to be helped I want to help myself if I'd have gone in and said I have a problem, this is what's going on, please help me to help myself. I think I would have reached that point a lot sooner. But it's not It's not always that easy to say that you want to help yourself. You know, I mean, sorry, it's easy to say you want to help yourself. It's it's difficult to make the effort. You know, it's, I think... Fully. Um, I've, I've always been someone who's considered themselves to be really open about their mental health, okay? I have a podcast which is about me being open about my mental health and during lockdown I started having panic attacks really bad like I'd I'd had a couple before but they never Mm. manifest themselves in in kind of the classic way of the breathe you know struggling to breathe and everything closing in yeah and during lockdown I think there was a period of maybe even two weeks where pretty consistently almost every night I would have a panic attack and 
my initial reaction was always so I was living with my girlfriend we were living in sort of a studio thing and my initial reaction was always just to get out so she would her, her mm. she wanted to be there and comfort me and when she has panic attacks that's that's what helps her is reassurance and her knowing that I'm there but as soon as mm. I felt it coming I would always leave I'd go outside and I'd sit on the grass by myself because and it took yeah. me a while to realize this but my mentality was I'm too smart for this I know I'm not going to die so I don't need anyone to help me because I'm smarter than anxiety yeah and that's so baffling and it's such a oh you've hit the nail on the classically head toxic masculine trait in someone who considered themselves to be above that you know I was like I, I have a mental health podcast I've been so open about this for years I, I like this was after me doing nearly a month of this podcast this happened and it took me almost two weeks to recognize that behavior in myself hmm. the the i'm i'm too smart i'm too much of a blokey bloke really really does ring true it's uh it's something that i think i've recognized quite a lot in a you know other other blokes hmm. um and one that even i to this day have issues with you know in my head oh I'm not scared um, I'm me or I don't have a problem anymore I'm fine it's you know I've done it that story's over the credits have rolled I'm fine now yeah well speaking to that then how how does it manifest its, how does your disordered eating manifest itself in, in your everyday life now Obviously, it's it sounds like it's much more under control. How, but does it still yeah for sure reappear? Oh yeah, oh oh every day, every day. It is. I've learned how to control what's going on in my head. Mm. I've learned how to deal with what's going on in my head. But I've, you know, I've always been quite open about the fact that I don't think there will ever come a point in my life where I won't have a little demon in the back of my head going that's got 600 calories in mate you shouldn't eat that and you know to this day I will have that thing in the back of my head saying oh Ed you've not been on a bike ride for over a week now you're going to get fat or for example uh, I was in London yesterday uh, with my girlfriend and some friends and it was incredible it was such a wonderful day and I wouldn't have changed any of it for the world but in the evening we went for some pizza and then we went for some beers and now I would never begrudge myself any of that mm. you know I had a garlic bread starter, I had a pizza, I had a few pints. In my head, even though I was eating those things consciously, in my head I was still going, what the fuck are you doing? Ed, this is bad for you. Ed, what the hell? What are you doing? Why are you eating pizza? It's oily. Why are you drinking all that beer? There's so many calories. And that is a battle that I have every day, but it's 
so much quieter than it was when I was younger and it's so much more controllable than when I was younger but I still find myself doing the you know the age-old thing of oh well if I go for a walk now then I can afford the calories Mm. later and that's such a such a terrible way of looking at things but even now I find myself even though I you know if someone discusses their their issues with me I say oh that's a you know it's quite an unhealthy way of looking at things or you should try not to view food and exercise like a give and take like an exchange and yet I find myself doing exactly the thing that I say is a bad move Mm. so in in quietening that voice how did you tackle that presumably that was during your gap year that you took yeah well I think the way that I began to deal with it was by opening up about it okay was by making primarily my family aware of what was going on and making other people like my close personal friends aware of what was going on in my head and I think in talking things through particularly with my mum you know I've had endless endless kitchen floor resets with my mum you know the the classic crying on the kitchen floor with your mum cup of tea (gasps) I can't do it mum you know all this stuff and you know my mum's an absolute godsend what a wonderful wonderful woman and you know she's put up with me through all of that stuff but talking to my mum talking to my dad talking to my little sister about stuff that was going on you know I I say that I owe them an awful lot I owe my family more than anything and I've been very lucky that they will have that dialogue with me and discuss things with me um, and then I tried I mean I tried counselling again uh, at uni went for a session and I went in with the same the same mentality which is such a daft move and uh same thing happened set me back a little bit but I think now having really really come to terms with what's going on and the way in which I can deal with it and finding those things that I can do that calm my mind Mm. really is really is something that I focus on so if I have that thing in the back of my head for example Uh, got on the train yesterday after eating a load of food drinking a few beers and I got on the train back to my flat on my own with my thoughts which is the worst worst time because particularly on a train you can't go anywhere you're sat there you're thinking you know yeah you've got music yes you've got a podcast yes you've got a magazine but you are alone with your thoughts and all I did was I, I put a podcast on mm. and I just got engrossed in this podcast and it kind of takes you away from everything that you're thinking about and I think I listened to an album as well and I listen in those situations I listen to music that I know incredibly well and music that reminds me of certain times in my life because it's such a comforting feeling Mm. 
music has a great power to do that I think as, as one of the senses to really take you back somewhere I think music's oh great. massively massively there's um, I go one of two ways uh, I either listen to music that is beyond confusing <laughs> and you know super hard super confusing super intricate jazz that will you know if you try and even think about it for a second you haven't got a hope or I listen to music that is almost designed to be more intimate, more quieter, I guess. You, you've got um, music by Brian Eno, okay, who makes loads of ambient music. Uh, there's a guy called Nils Fram, who makes these kind of amazing soundscapes and lots of solo piano work that's gorgeous and there's I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called William Bajinski no but he does a lot of work with tape and he will create a loop and then play that loop on repeat and record it until that tape disintegrates so it'll be a 13 14 second loop and you'll listen to it for an hour and slowly over that hour the tape degrades hmm. and it just focuses my mind I don't know what it is don't know what it is you know some people think I'm absolutely crazy <laughs> listening to the same 14 second loop non-stop but it is for me that works for me that calms everything down that, do you think it's about escapism and you know I think so I think there's definitely an element of that you don't have to come to terms with anything if you're listening to some music yeah. do you it's it's interesting, um, yeah. Because I think escapism is a common way to deal with sort of, um, especially when things get loud in your head, right? Because yeah, the the very definition of a mental health struggle is that it's it's mental, it's in your head, and mm. that can me make it feel quite claustrophobic sometimes because you can't you can't run away from your head; it's there. No, you really. And can't. I think escapism is a really interesting way to deal with that quiet voice i i find it like i'm i'm exactly the same um because so my my anxiety when it gets really overwhelming it's like i have these two voices in my head that are just yelling at me and escapism is is that way i i like to paint or watch things or um i always have a podcast in the background and that's like I, i'm always listening to something and that's i i'm pretty mm. sure it's because i just don't want those voices to to come up and if, I've, if i'm thinking about something else and then then they can't come up and it's interesting that that voice is a part of disordered eating it's not something that i considered before you know it's especially because of how active uh, disordered eating seems right it seems as though it doesn't have that mental element to it but it absolutely does it absolutely mm. you have that voice which is uh, seemingly a part of you and constantly there and talking and nagging and and niggling yeah massively massively that and it's I mean I'm not sure I would not be able to speak for anybody else and I would never try to no of course but for myself there is a little thing in the back of my head that says all these things and it's very strange it's a very odd feeling to even even now you know for my tea we I made some enchiladas this weekend and I had the last one this evening 
with a load of guac, like fresh guac that I'd made and pico de gallo and some chili sauce. And it was cracking. <laughs> it sounds you know, absolutely delicious. <laughs> I had a great time. But even in my head, I was like, oh, why are you eating this? You could have a salad. Mm. But I think now I'm at the point where I'm so stubborn that I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm having a good time. Yeah, good. Be, be too stubborn for mental health. <laughs> Mate, it's the way forwards, I'm telling you. Well, I think we'll leave it on that note then. If that's okay with you. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I think that's a nice, nice place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining me, Ed. I think this has been a really, really lovely conversation about a topic which, you know, I really know nothing about. The the extent to which I'm aware mm. of it is how it's definitely mis misrepresented uh, in the media, as well as mm. um, the bits which uh, Daisy has put out. Um, yes, the lovely Daisy May Newman and her her blog and and because that that was how I was became aware of you was was because of your post on there the interview you did with yeah, her sure. um because it isn't it's not something which is put out there much and even less so amongst men so i you know really really thank mm. you for sharing your story with me today or your journey should yeah, i say thank you for having <laughs> me on <laughs> well thanks for having me yeah you got anything to plug uh honestly i wish i wish <laughs> i did um lockdown's been remarkably quiet uh i've got a single coming out with a friend so Ooh. but again it's early yeah. days uh we're we're just about done with the demo stage we need to get some really nice vocals recorded very soon but um once that's done honestly it's gonna be glastonbury i'm excited <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a cool track it's yeah. a cool track but um yeah i'll be posting all over my socials about that i'll keep an eye out for it then well thank you no. so much for joining me Ed. um in the meantime i've been elliot Thank you for listening. Oh, oh sorry, you, you go for it. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me, Ed. Um, but for now, I've been Elliot. Oh, I was leaving you time. <laughs> oh, was I going to say yeah, I've I was been Ed? I leave you time. I'm so sorry. Thanks for listening. Please remember that none of us are professionals and if you are struggling please seek advice from your local GP or from any of the charities that I will leave in the description. If you want to see what else we're up to, check us out at Chesting Dog Productions on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.